share a little story. There was a, a sorcerer, and he had fallen into disfavor with the king, and the king was so angry with him, he condemned him to death. And on the day he was to be executed, the, he called the king to him, and he said, I want to make you a deal. He said, if you give me one more year, I'll make you world famous. They will know you all over the world. They will be talking about you. He says, you know, king, if you give me one more year, I will teach your horse to talk. And because you have a talking horse, everyone will know about you, and they're going to know what's going on and, and how special you are. And he says, if I fail after a year, you can kill me. And he says, I, I won't say anything. I'll just go along with it, whatever. I won't object. And so the uh, king agreed to this, and uh, the sorcerer was spared, and he was placed in the palace dungeon. And while he was there, one of the dukes that was a, a friend of the sorcerer came to him, and he said, he said to the sorcerer, you're, you're a fool. He said, you know and I know that you can't teach a horse to talk, and, and that's not going to happen, and you're going to end up dying. You're going to get killed because you can't make that horse to talk, and because you're just not going to succeed at that. And the sorcerer said, uh, he replied, he says, yeah, but I have one more year. And who knows what's going to happen in that year? The king may die. <laughs> I may die. <laughs> who knows? Maybe I'll get the horse to talk. But I have one more year. And I want to say to you today, as we look forward to 2020, we have one new year. We have a year ahead of us. What will we do with that year? What will God do in our lives in that year? How will we see our lives enhanced as a result of our decisions and what we do to see God make a difference? Now, I know that most of you here don't like New Year's resolutions. I make these resolutions every year, and I ask, is anybody doing that? And I'll get maybe two or three hands. You've all gone through those resolution things, and now I'm not doing that. Usually they have to do with diet or exercise or weight loss or, you know, and you get out there. To New Year's Day and and the uh, the leftovers and you've already blown it so it, it doesn't do a whole lot of good uh, so I, I have found that most people in this church do not make New Year's resolutions but what I found is if we do not have goals if we do not have things we're shooting for that we want to accomplish we probably won't accomplish anything it's like that old saying, you shoot an arrow into the air, it fell to earth, I know not where. You may hit something okay, uh, but on the other hand, the probability is you won't hit anything that's of value. And so we need to have things in our lives that I think we are striving towards. Now, we grow up with that. We, we go to school, and they start us out at the September or whenever we start in school, and we have the aim to finish in June, and they lay out exactly what we're supposed to learn. And those are like a resolution. I resolve that I'm going to get through the first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade, whatever it is. I resolve that I'll get through high school. I resolve that I'll get through college, if that's where you go. And they are really kind of a resolution. It's just that at the end of them, there's a finish, and they lay out exactly what we're going to do and what we're going to accomplish. And normally, we do fairly well with those. So the question I'm asking this morning is, what will you do in 2020 for your spiritual growth? What will you do for your spiritual walk? 
How will your life change? Because I, I can almost guarantee you, if you don't plan something, if you don't prepare something, unless God works in some amazing way within your life, you'll probably be moving into 2021 just about where you are in 2020. You'll have the feeling that, wow, I'm going to go to heaven. I know I'm going to go to heaven. God saved me. But what is there beyond that? And so we need to really, in many ways, plan or come up with something that we're going to do. And so I want to read to you from Philippians 3. Paul was writing about his future and where he was going. He oftentimes likened his life to a race, a foot race. Uh, I have an idea that he went to... um, Maybe the Olympic Games. We know that he was in Athens. We know that he was in Ephesus for something like three years. He had a school there basically in Ephesus while he was there. And he taught people and he instructed them. He discipled them. And uh, I read an article this last week that said they had a stadium there that would seat 100,000 people. And they would oftentimes have the games there. And so I'm sure that Paul probably went to those games. He was probably into watching athletics. He was... From what I understand, physically not a great athlete probably, but he, I would imagine, was a spectator and enjoyed it, much like we might be with football or basketball or whatever, the Olympic years, we watch track and field and the different things. But I want to I read this to you. I want to begin with verse 3, and then we're really going to focus on verses 12 through 14. That's really where I want us to focus on briefly this morning and then talk about some of the ministries uh, that we have here at Brentwood Bible Fellowship this year. It says, Beware of the dogs, beginning in verse 2 of chapter 3 of Philippians. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. And I would tell you today, beware of the false teachers. Very easy to get on television or some of the books you read. And even some of those that you would hear are great theologians or whatever, you may find that they're a little off base in some of their theology. You have to be careful of what you're taking in. Beware. For we are the true circumcision, Paul says, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. It's not about what we do physically. Although I myself uh, might have confidence even in the flesh. I, I may be able to do that if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh. Oh, I far more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Jewish children in families that wanted to demonstrate that they were part of the covenant would uh, have their child, their little boy, circumcised on the eighth day, take him to the temple, and that would be part. He said, I'm of the nation of Israel. I'm an Israelite. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was... uh, from Benjamin, the younger brother of of uh, Joseph, and uh, actually the first king, King Saul, came out of the tribe of Benjamin, so it was a special relationship. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Boy, I keep it all. I was so good with that. As to zeal, I'm a per- I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is in the law, my self-righteousness, keeping the law, I'm found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. They're not important anymore, he says. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is the goal that I might know Jesus. That's what he's saying, and I think we have to get that down. 
More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish, but garbage, so that I may gain Christ. He says, that's that's what it's all about. I want to gain Jesus, and that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, not not a self-righteousness based on how good I am, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. It's, it's what we call righteousness that is imputed to us. When we receive Jesus Christ, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. It's not about who we are, but about what he's done for us. And too often what we want to do is look at ourselves based on how good we are and how we might keep for Paul the law. And we think, wow, I'm a pretty good guy. God ought to like me. And uh, in, in reality, it's what Christ did. And it says, we have a righteousness of my own, he says, not derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, this is my goal, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, in order that I might someday be resurrected, in order that I might someday be part of the rapture, I want to have that relationship with Christ. And let me just tell you something today. It's not about what all you know about God. And it's not all about how much you know about Jesus Christ. You can have a lot of knowledge. But it's do you know him? And are you growing in that relationship? Uh, There are some of you here today, I can know a lot about you, but I may not know you very well. I may know where you came from. I may know where you were born. I may know what your parents were like. I may know uh, what kind of job you have. I may know the house you live in. I may know your address. I may know all kinds of things about you. But we have little or no relationship. And the goal is we have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the one who was crucified. I want to know how that relates to me. And then we go on in verses 12 through 14. And let me just break this down a little bit because it kind of shows where we are and what we should be striving for. He says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. I'm not already complete, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. And let me just stop there because I think sometimes we need to stop and evaluate our lives. I think it's pretty good for us to, I mean, it oftentimes happens that sometimes we look at ourselves and say, wow, I'm a pretty good Christian. Yeah, I'm kind of mature. I've kind of got it together. I'm all right. And then you look at Paul, and Paul says, man, I haven't attained it yet. And when I look at myself in relationship to Paul, (laughs) I have to stop and realize that I haven't either. You know, the only ones we compare ourselves to in terms of our spiritual maturity and where we are are ourselves and God or Jesus Christ. Where are you in relationship to him? And we realize we're not there yet. But Paul goes on here realizing that he has not quite attained what he wants or what he should be. 
He says his goal is to know Christ. He said that beginning in verse 10. Go back up there. It says, For I, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Jesus is what he said. We go on in verse 13, this last half. And he says, uh, But one thing I do, forgetting, and I, I like that word, forgetting, it means to lose out of your mind. You just kind of dump it out. It's not there anymore. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. And that I press on is that, that word from, from the games. It's the race. And if you've ever watched a foot race, a 100-yard dash, 100, 100 meters, you watch those runners as they come up to the, to the finish line, and all of a sudden they're there, and they lean forward into the tape because they want to beat the guy next to them. And it's that whole word right here, I press on. It's that, that intensity of running hard to the finish. And that's what Paul's talking about. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that I might be resurrected, that I might be part of that rapture that is going to take place because I want to be ready. I, I, I don't want to be, in First John, I believe it is, it talks about the fact that we don't want to be embarrassed at his coming. We want to be prepared. It's not that we won't be Christians, but we need to be prepared. And so he says, and I like this, he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. There's two parts there. Number one is forgetting what lies behind. And that can be both positive and negative. You know, it, it's very easy to look back. If you're a runner in a race, especially uh, a sprint, you don't want to look back because the minute you turn your head, you slow down. You keep moving towards the finish line. A good racer knows that. He doesn't look for who's coming up alongside of him or who might catch him, but he pushes for the goal. So you don't look back. And I think sometimes in terms of our spiritual lives, we have a tendency to look back. And maybe we see areas where we failed or we haven't been successful and we see ourselves as not very successful and so we hold off from really moving ahead. Uh, maybe there's sin in our lives and we realize that that's there and, you know, I took it to the Lord, I asked forgiveness, but I just do not feel worthy. It may have to do with moral issues, it may have to do with Honesty, it may have to do with integrity, but I look at my life and I see the negatives. And they slow me down from really feeling that I can be used by God. Or maybe we look at our successes. You can look back at your successes and say, hey, I've been a pretty good Christian. I've done pretty good. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I got it together. I taught a Sunday school class once. I... Uh, I shared my faith with a person about five years ago. And we begin to see our successes and we become kind of apathetic towards moving forward. I don't want to do that anymore because I'm pretty good already. And you know what Paul says? It doesn't matter whether it's your successes or your failures. It doesn't matter whether it's you've done something great and people have patted you on the back or you've done some things that you needed to get over and you finally overcome them. 
He says, quit looking at those because when you're looking back, you're not looking forward. And you need to look forward to see what God wants you to do. When we come to 2020, we should be looking and saying, God, how can I grow stronger in my relationship with you? How can I get to know Jesus Christ better? I don't want to just sit and stagnate anymore. I want to be more than that. I want to really know Jesus. I don't want to just know about him. I, I, I want to know him. I want to see him used in my life. I, I think that's true for a church, too. I, I really believe churches need to stop and look at their lives. Oftentimes, it's very easy for churches to look back and say, well, we're small. We've always been small. We'll never be any larger. Or you can look back and see your successes. You know, we're a pretty successful church. We have a fantastic vacation Bible school. And we do. But is that all we want to do? We can look back and say, wow, we had, a, we had a pretty good Christmas Eve service. Or, wow, we can look back and say, we didn't have a lot of people come to some of our activities that we've done the last few years. Why do them anymore? And we get caught looking back rather than looking forward and saying, God, where do you want us to be a year from today? And what do we need to do to accomplish that? And so when I look at that, that's where Paul was in this. He says, where should I be? And then he says, what I need to do, and we read it in verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, it says, let us therefore as many as are perfect, and that word perfect here is not the same as earlier, it means mature. As, long, as many as of us are mature, have this attitude, and if anything we have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Over in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this you stand firm in the Lord. You know, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And so I'm going to challenge you this morning. We're not going to spend a lot of time in study this morning, but I'm going to challenge you in terms of how will you be involved in growing closer to Jesus Christ. We have a, a number of small groups starting up, and they're more teaching groups than anything, and... Uh, I want to give you an idea. I'm going to ask the different individuals leading them to come forward. And uh, so, Corwin, if you'd come forward, is he here? There he is. Uh, Corwin just got back from the Ignition Conference. Why don't you give us a little update on how that went and then share with us a little bit about the series that you're going to do. Sunday nights, right? Okay. Yeah, we just got back yesterday afternoon from our Ignition Conference, and we were greatly blessed by the... Magic show, bake raffle fundraiser that we did to raise funds for that to, for, to help students go to that conference. And it was great. Uh, we were challenged, actually. Andy uh, repeated one of the key phrases from that weekend from one of the speakers about the difference between knowing about God and knowing God personally. And so the students were greatly challenged this weekend or this past week uh, in that. And uh, we were greatly encouraged. We worked together, about 800 other students from... Uh, Southern Baptist Churches and the CSBC Convention, and, and it's always a great time. So uh, thank you for, if you were praying for us, thank you. And if you went to the Bake Raffle and the Magic Show, thank you again for just participating in that because it went to 
went towards the kingdom, so we thank you. Uh, for the class that I'll be leading, we just finished with the youth ministry, actually. It's a six-week-long course, and if you have spent a significant amount of time in church growing up, uh, would you raise your hand if you like, kind of grew up going to church, uh, in the church? Okay, good. If that's you, then you've probably heard a lot of things about other religions, like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, or maybe Islam, about that, oh, we don't believe those things because their, their beliefs are weird, you know. Oh, they, they believe in some weird stuff over there. And if that's the extent to which we don't believe in those things, then why do we believe in what we believe in? Because Christians, we believe in some weird stuff. Uh, the scripture says that the, the, go- the gospel, the, the cross, is foolishness to the Gentiles, and it's a stumbling block to the Jews. And so if that's the extent of our knowledge of other religions, that, oh, they just believe in some weird stuff, then we're probably falling far short of our understanding of why we believe what we believe. And if the greatest commandments that Jesus sums up is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, then in order to love God properly, then you need to know him rightly. And so that's what the focus is on the six-week study. It goes through not just the essentials of the Christian faith and why we believe what we believe from Scripture, but then we also look at the other religions in comparison to that why are they false religions? Why can we not have communion with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and even other uh, sections of those who claim to be Christians or Islam or Eastern religions and all these other things that the church, in, uh, specifically in America, have actually, in many ways, have incorporated into their Christian worship. And, and so first, I would, uh, the first goal is if you go through this course, the goal is for you to have a better understanding of your salvation in Christ, first and foremost. Uh, forget about all the other people in other religions, but for you to sanctify the Lord Jesus as Lord in your hearts, as Lord of your life. And the second goal is to have a better understanding so you can have more compassion for those who are in other religions, not to have a hate towards them or, have, or a comparison or competitive feeling towards these other religions, but have compassion for them and be able to understand where they're coming from their beliefs so that you might be able to minister to them. So those are kind of the two main goals in the six-week course, and it methodically goes through what do we believe, why do we believe, why do we believe it, and then what's wrong with the other beliefs of these other systems. Because if you ask everyone else, they all have the same basic answers that we have in the church, which is Jesus, God, and love. They all have that. But what is it really that we believe as Christians? What makes our faith unique, and what makes it the only right way to worship God? So um, if any of those questions sound interesting to you and you feel like you could use some help in those areas, um, we'll be going through that in uh, January. Okay, thank you. All right, before you you run off, John uh, Gardner is not here. He was going to be here and is not here, and he's going to be teaching. We're still doing some uh, interaction with uh, Financial Peace University and Dave Ramsey's course, uh, making our involvement with them. But you've gone through that course. And do you want to give just a little bit about that? I, I'll tell you, I think as Christians, number one, we struggle with what we believe in order to be able to recognize what others believe and where they may be wrong. So we really need to have, as Corwin said, a solid foundation in what we believe. But I've also found for Christians their issue with material things and money becomes a big issue, not just between them and God. It oftentimes becomes a big issue between them and their spouse or their kids or whoever. And so you want to talk a little bit about that and just give them a background on it? Yeah, uh, 
Mandy and I were greatly blessed by going through this video with several others from this church uh, a couple years ago, I think, and it was very uh, a vulnerable time, a very um, open time, great conversations about our finances and where we were at and how we are honoring the Lord and ways that we were not honoring the Lord. And I think many times as Christians, we, uh, we, we could be so blessed, but yet we're not, uh, we, we are, once again, we incorporate values of this culture into our own Christian living, which is one of them is being okay with being in debt and, and spending outside of our means. And I think that's something that we, uh, in general, as Christians, have kind of incorporated in this country of credit cards and debt and being okay with it and, and paying it off slowly instead of as fast as possible. And so it is greatly convicting. And uh, even if you're not in debt, it, it could still be convicting because you might not be still, you're still not fully honoring the Lord with all your finances. And we're not, none of us are perfect, just like Philippians 3 says. We have not attained this yet. And so it's always a great course to go through um, and allowing the Lord to convict you and how you use your finances for yourself or for your family and then for others and, and building God's kingdom. Uh, there's so many different ways that God calls us to use our finances and to use for him first and foremost. So uh, that's a great course as well. All right. Thank you, Corwin. You know, and I really encourage you. Uh, John will probably be here later, but there's a sign-up in the back for that. Uh, we are still working on uh, some of the details there, so be aware of that. I think it's important that we as Christians and as individuals um, get that down, and uh, we're aware of that. Uh, I've asked Joe Neese to come. He's been going through Design for Discipleship. If any, anybody here gone through Growing in Christ? It's a navigator study. All right, I'll tell you what. I think every believer should go through Growing in Christ. It's a basic study, but you need to go through it. And I know there are people who have gone through it because Joe's gone through it with me. Uh, and we've had a number of individuals go through it. But, uh, and our youth have gone through it. They go through it about every year, uh, the Growing in Christ study by the Navigators. Design for Discipleship is a step beyond that. And first time I went through it, I was in seminary, and I think I got more out of that than I did most of my seminary studies. Uh, but it was a great study. We were in a small group. It took us about two years. This is not... Well, it'll probably take quite a while. They're into about third book. But, Joe, why don't you come and share with us a little bit of what you're doing with Design for Discipleship. Great, great study for any Christian at any level, I believe, in terms of your spiritual walk. Well, thank you, Andy. Um, well, good morning. Um, you know, I, the people that have been coming to the class um, have, have all said that, oh, yeah, we like it. It's working. It's good. Um, but the thing that I've noticed is that they do keep coming back. Um, for me in this last year, you know, my walk with the Lord has gone from being general to personal. Um, I've gone, I've made that leap from, you know, not being alone to loved. And, you know, I can't say that it was the class that did it for me, but I'm not taking any chances. I'm going to keep doing this. There's a lot of books. We're at book three, um, you know, you hear a lot about your walk with the Lord. Where this class is, this class is kind of intended to tell you where to put your feet. So, thank you. All right. What you do is you take a book, and during the week you will go through the study, and then you come together and you uh, you find out how everybody else is doing, and you discuss it. And it's it's a very important study for you to do. But design for discipleship out of the navigators, I think, is it should be a priority of every believer. And uh, so I would really encourage you to do that. 
Um, we have a number of other things coming up. I mentioned the MPG class earlier, maximizing your personal growth. Um, anybody that has never gone through that class, that helps you to know who we are. You know, it's, it's also required to be a member, but it really helps you to know who Brentwood Bible Fellowship is. And if you've never gone through it and you've got questions, hey, what do you guys believe about this or, or uh, you know, some of the different things that may come to mind, that's, that's the time to be in that class and find out those answers. So I would encourage you, if you've never gone through that, you've never been part to do that. My goal for people coming into Brentwood Bible Fellowship is that sometimes people come into a church and they're there for about eight, nine months, ten months. They built relationships, they have friendships, and all of a sudden the pastor says something and they go, you believe that? Wow, that's different than what I believe. That's not where I was and that's not what I was taught about. I would rather you would learn what we believe and who we are early on in your relationship here rather than later on when you've already developed relationships and you struggle with it, but you don't want to leave those new friends. So I really encourage you to come and sign up. I'll be in the back. I'll have Corwin in the back afterwards for some of the things that he has in his classes, and uh, we can answer that. Um, winter fellowship groups, last, uh, last quarter. We had, I, I think, about four groups total in which people would go to different homes. Uh, they'd probably have a dessert or something and then just discuss some of the topics or questions that came out of the sermon that week. Uh, they're a place where you build relationships and you're together for five, ten weeks and, and just begin to get to know people. But it's also a time where you deal with some of the specifics. We do not have any of those laid out yet, but if you're interested, there is a sign-up back there, and if we have enough people, we will start some fellowship groups because I think that is so important that we come together and be together that way. Now, I will be leading on Thursday night's uh, men's group. It's, it's from a series by Family Life. Dennis Rainey developed it uh, Family life's been around since probably the 70s, stepping up for men. And I really believe that men need to be in a relationship with other guys, and we need to know what the Bible says about being men and being courageous. One of the questions, first questions they ask is, what is the most courageous thing you've ever done? And guys are going, I've never done anything courageous. I wasn't in the war. I didn't save people. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Let me tell you something. In my mind, one of the most courageous things you do is when you step out to be a husband or a dad because you commit yourself and lay aside those things behind for the rest of your life. And today, men struggle with who they are and where they fit and what is a man? What should a man do? Do we step up? How do we step up? Courageous. Courageous. Courage is an important thing that men have. You know, in Proverbs 27, 17, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And if you don't have guys to sharpen you, you're probably going to get dull. And you're going to struggle as a husband. You're going to struggle as a father. You're going to find try to figure out where you fit in your society and your community and where you fit in at work because you're not sure what it means to to do that. I listened to a video uh, this last week, uh, Overcomer. Darlene bought it for me for Christmas, and 
great video. Uh, we will be showing it here sometime in the near future. But uh, one man, he was in bed. He was blind. He couldn't see anymore. Had diabetes and it had taken a real toll on his life. And an individual came in who was a Christian, just happened to come in the wrong room, and they were talking, and, and the man laying on the bed was a Christian. He said, uh, who are you? Well, the guy gave his name, but who are you? How would you define yourself? And he began to define himself as, well, I'm a father, and I'm a husband, and uh, this is my job, and uh, I have a home. Well, how do you define yourself? Who are you? Who are you? Well, I'm, uh, he said, I'm a white American male. I'm uh, a Christian. Well, what does that mean? Well, I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? Are you a good Christian? Well, yeah, I, I think I'm a good Christian. And, and, and is that how you define yourself? You're a Christian? Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of how I define myself. And he went to leave, and he says, well, I'll be thinking about you, the guy leaving. And he said, I'll be praying for you. And the man said, oh, man, that'd be great. I'd love it. I could really appreciate it. Well, due to circumstances, the first man came back into his room. He need, needed some help with a, a coaching issue, and the guy was very good at the area where he was coaching. He came in, and, and the man looked up at him, and he says, and who are you? I know your name, but who are you? Well, I'm a Christian. Are you a good Christian? Yeah. You said when you left here, you would pray for me. Did you pray for me? No. Then you're not a very good Christian, are you? Because you didn't do what you said you would do. First Corinthians 16, 13 and 14, beyond the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Be courageous. Let everything you do be done in love. Guys, we're going to build off of each other. We're going to go through these videos. And we're going to build off of each other about 10 weeks. We may go 11 or 12 and watch a couple of those films that talks about being courageous. And uh, I hope that when we all come out of there, we'll be stronger as men and we'll know who we are and what God wants us to do and how important it is. And uh, the things that aren't important, we'll put behind us and we'll press on to the goal, of the upward call of Christ. If you have questions on these groups, I'm going to ask those that are involved uh, to share, uh, be in the back. Uh, we have a, a senior study that is uh, every Wednesday. We have a men's group that meets every Wednesday morning. Uh, Corwin, what are you going through right now on Wednesday mornings, and where do you meet for men? Okay, Lumpy's Diner, Lone Tree. Uh, really, again, learning how to be men. Uh, we have a, a seniors group that meets uh, every Wednesday at 10 o'clock here at the church. 
and anyone can come. It just happens to be that seniors are more available at that time. But Paco leads that. Do you want to share anything, Paco? And you probably need to like to eat because seniors always eat, so they always go to dinner. But I want to get you, I want to encourage you as you begin to think about pressing on towards the mark. That's what Paul was saying, and he says, I want to get to know Jesus better, and I, I want to be able to interact back and forth with the people of Jesus Christ, and I want to grow in my relationship with him. And so we're, we're going to have these during the winter session. We'll have some more different ones during the... Um, during the spring session, I'm looking at doing a study on hermeneutics, uh, probably during that session of how to truly study the Bible. Uh, I think we get caught up with a lot of different things, and so we'll talk about how to study the Bible um, very literally, as, as I believe it should be. So uh, I would encourage you to think towards that and being part of that and um, want to get ready for those. You may have some areas that you want to see us work on or deal with spiritual issues. Uh, let me know, and I'll write those down, and we'll begin to look at those for future uh, studies. But we want to make sure we help you to grow, and we want to make sure we help you be close to Jesus Christ. And, uh, and we want to reach others as well. So let's have a word of prayer, shall we? And uh, then we'll close. Father, thank you for today. Wow, thank you for the opportunities we have in 2020. I'm, I'm looking forward to this year, Father. I think it's going to be a great year. And I don't want to miss out on it. I want to be part of what's going on in this church and what you're going to do here because it's your spirit that makes all the difference in the world. Wow. So, Father, I, I just praise you in advance and thank you in advance for what you're going to do at Brentwood Bible Fellowship this next year. With the studies we have, I, I pray that they would just really make a difference in our lives and that we would grow closer to you. And for some of them, like financial peace, that we would just get some things under control so they don't get in the way. Studying on the, on the cults and, and other religions, that we would get a clearer understanding, not just of what those cults and religions believe, but what do we believe?
And what's important for us, because, boy, if we don't have a handle on what we believe, it doesn't matter very much what the others believe. And so I pray that there would be a, a solidifying of, of our own faith and our own walk. And, Father, I pray that we would come close to Jesus, that we would get to know him better as our Lord and Savior, that we would look forward to the resurrection and the return of Jesus Christ, and that it would be the dominating factor in our lives in every aspect of life. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in 2020. And thank you for what you've already done in 2019, especially in the lives of some of the individuals here at Brentwood Bible Fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.